Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Congratulations on making it to this last a message right at the end of this chapter of Romans 8 and the great promises from this chapter. Church, I'm looking forward to this Saturday, which is Serve Day. We're going to huddle up here at 8 a.m. We'll have a quick word and prayer, and then it's a great time right then to meet up with your teams and go to your serve projects, head to your projects. So uh, we'll see you Saturday at 8 a.m. There's still projects to sign up for, ways to get involved in that day today, so you don't have to uh, miss that. We're so looking forward to it. God bless Serve Day. Amen. And uh, during the announcement time, we'll tell you a little bit more about that. Also, I hope you'll join me for church next weekend as we're going to launch a new series on the armor of God. The armor of God. Maybe you sense that Your values, your family, our society, our culture is under attack. Uh, Well, God has given us armor for this spiritual battle. And it's there for our protection, for our blessing, for God's glory. Uh, But you've got to put it on for it to work. You've got to know what it is and engage with it for it to work. So I'm looking forward to walking through the armor of God uh, starting next weekend. Now, as we get to the end of Romans 8, uh, we're not going to miss what we've seen. You know, when you get to the end of something, the end of Romans 8 is really kind of a mountaintop moment in Scripture. And if you've ever summited a mountain or gotten to an overlook or a great place, you want to look around. You don't want to miss what you see there. And so as we've been looking at God's great promises, we just want to be reminded that every promise is sure. Uh, Every promise comes true. But we are much more accustomed to broken promises in life, aren't we? It's hard for us to believe in God's promises because we're so accustomed to broken promises. And this week I looked up famous broken promises or cons in history. And I rediscovered one actually just from a few years ago of the broken promises of fire festival. Anyone familiar with Fire Festival? It's known as the greatest party to never happen. And it was supposed to be this immersive, amazing music festival where you would go and spend several days in paradise. And the first initial promotions, first initial thing that social media influencers put out there is they were paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to promote the best in music, art, food, and adventure. It was supposed to happen on a private island. There were supposed to be these amazing headliners. People paid as much as $50,000, to go to this festival, to get artist circle passes, to hang out with artists, to have dinner with celebrities, paid $50,000 for something that did not happen. People paid thousands of dollars for luxury villas, and when they arrived at the airport, they were picked up in school buses and then driven to these luxury villas 
FEMA tents, and those were their villas. They were promised luxury, luxury cuisine. At the end, they were given this food uh, to eat at their festival. Many lawsuits were filed. The initial organizers now in prison. The whole thing was a completely broken promise. In fact, you can go look at the pitch piece that the initial organizer of this event went to investors to raise money for advertising to pay to influencers to put out there. And this is how he pitched the experience. The actual experience exceeds all expectations and is something that's hard to put into words. It will ignite that type of energy, that type of power in our guests. And I read that and thought, you know, that kind of, I've said that before, like on a date night where I don't know where we're going. And my wife says, where are we going? And I say, the actual experience exceeds any, ex it's hard to put into words exactly what we're doing, but at the end of it, it will ignite energy and power, I I'm sure of it. This was the promo for fire, and it was a broken promise. And there are thousands of these stories, because we're used to broken promises. And oftentimes, the promises of life differ than reality. And many of us have had to live with broken promises in this world. Maybe you were pulled into an investment deal that looked lucrative, seemed attractive, and you lost a lot. Or maybe you were pulled into a relationship and because of it looked one way, it sounded like it would be one way, there was a promise that it would be one way, but then the reality there were broken promises and so I understand that there can, we can be cynical as we can be jaded toward God and as we look at his promises and try to live by his promises because we live with broken promises and all of us in here have broken promises to others. We've made promises that we couldn't keep. So how can we believe that really what we've been given by God is true? I included this quote from Martin Luther in your notes and you may need to scroll down to it or flip over to it. It's on point number four, but I, I wanted to begin with it today. Where he says, to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. To actually believe all of this that we've talked about. To believe what Christ has earned for us and done for us. It takes faith. It takes God's grace to change our hearts so that we can believe these promises. And so we're going to be reminded of these promises and that they're better than anything else that can be offered to you. So Fire Festival, for instance, offered two days in paradise. Christ offers everlasting eternal paradise fire sells you on 50,000 to get into an artist circle Jesus actually doesn't sell you on anything he offers you eternal life and sends his spirit to live in us and with us fire sells you on this idea of being included in these benefits Jesus offers you being an heir of God how do we know that these promises are secure it's all because of him. He doesn't ask us to pay anything into his kingdom. He pays it all. He paves the way. He makes a way. This section begins with five questions that lead to five unshakable assurances when we're looking 
for assurances in what Christ has offered. Important questions of life. And when you really get a hold of the answers, it changes who you are. It can change your life. When you realize how obvious the answers are, you can live a different kind of life. You should automatically know the answers to these questions. So let me look at these questions. We'll read through them and then uh, you'll discover that these are questions that are not really questions. Paul's employing a tactic you're very familiar with, I'm very familiar with, a question that's not really a question, like when you go out to eat with a really healthy and fit friend and they order a salad and you order a hamburger and fries and they say, are you really going to eat that? Friend, that's not a question, is it? When before I leave the house and a family member says, are you really going to wear that? That's not a question. That is a statement. And what we discover from Paul here is that these are questions, but ultimately they're very powerful statements. Pulled right from the text here. Question number one. If God is for us, who can be against us? Number two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Number three, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Number four, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And number five, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What promise, what security do you need to see today? What do you need to see clearly in your life today? What do you need to know that you can count on? And here we see five securities that we can absolutely count on no matter what. First, we need to see that number one, God is for us. This is God's personal love. If you're taking notes, write that in. This is that he's with you at the beginning. He's with you at the end. He's with you all the way through. When you get in Christ, when you believe in Jesus and you begin following him, you can begin and end every sentence of your life with this promise. I've got to go to work today. God is for me. I'm going through some problems. God is for me. I have a tough decision to make. God is for me. We're going to have a baby in two weeks. God is for me. Every sentence, that was just an example. We're not, I'm not, we're not having a baby in two weeks. It's just, I said that last night and someone gasped like, what? <gasps> every sentence, every moment, every day of your life is colored in with the truth that God is for you. Here's a great way to think about this. God does not always take your side, but he's always by your side. So, meaning he doesn't support, God is not for every selfish thought that I have. He's not for every sinful action I may commit. But he does not leave me when I'm being opposed. It's like you're the littlest kid on the playground and your best friend is six feet tall. He is standing by you and he is for you. And people and the world and situations will stand against you all the time. The, the Christians in Rome that this was written to, 
when Paul says, who can be against us, they might have said, well, uh, everyone's against us. Like the Emperor Nero is against us. Our whole climate and culture is against us. And Paul's saying, he's basically saying, so what? So what? Nero will suffer at the hand of God. And this verse gives us hope that while we won't always prevail in every circumstance or every situation, it's not that we won't suffer or won't be persecuted, but that our eternal destiny and the love of God are secure. And there is no successful opposition. If God is for you, what does it matter if someone opposes you? If God is for you, what can man do to you? No one or nothing is as strong as God. What does it matter if temporary things are against you when you have the eternal on your side? If God is for us, who can be against us? This means I can conquer some fears. Like I can conquer my fear of opposition. That though I may suffer, I won't be destroyed. Struck down but not destroyed. Pressed but not crushed. Blessed, not cursed. And no matter matter how bad things seem, we must remember that God is for us. Here's a second thing that you can count on as we see in this passage, and that is that God will give to us. This is God's abundant love. And since he gave us Jesus, you can be sure he'll give everything else. Now, we don't naturally think of it this way. What I've found is we naturally think of it this way, that well, God gave me Jesus, why would he give me anything else? Like maybe God is tired of me, or tired of my sins, or tired of my needs. But that's not how God thinks about it. God shows you his character in the fact that he gave Jesus on the cross. Dwight Moody illustrated it somewhat like this. He said, suppose I go into a jewelry store And they bring out the loveliest diamond, and the owner says, it's yours. It's absolutely yours. And I say, you don't mean you're giving me this valuable diamond. He says, yes, I am giving it to you. It's yours. It's free to you. I want you to have it. And Dwight Moody goes on to say, now, if he gave it to me, do you think I would hesitate asking him for a piece of brown wrapping paper to wrap it up and bring it home with me? Meaning, since God has given you this valuable thing, don't you think that he will give you what is necessary in this life and in this life to come? That he's proved he's for you, that he will make a way for you. The words used here, Romans 8.32 This is absolutely incredible. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now these three words, gave him up, when the Apostle Paul went to write that, in the Greek, he used one word, and it's the word paradidomai. And it's almost scandalous because it's the same word that's used when Judas gives up Jesus and betrays Jesus. But he's not talking about a betrayal here. It's answering a question, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus suffer on the cross? Is it because of the Romans? Is it because of the Jews? Is it because of of 
us? Was it because of Judas? And Scripture's teaching here that ultimately, while we all have a role in it, it was God's decision to paradidomai, to give him up for us. And since he gave Jesus, you know he will give everything else. This quote from John Stott, the cross is the guarantee of the continuing, continuing, unfailing generosity of God. And we need to trust his generosity. You see what you find with the illustration again of the fire festival is that the creator was known for scams. So he would get people to buy things before he had them. For instance, he would sell uh, Broadway tickets, tickets to a show before he had them. And then it would be coming close to the time and people still didn't have their tickets. And he would somehow be able to scratch enough together or buy uh, uh, tickets for way more than what they were really worth and put together enough to give most people their tickets. Some didn't walk away with any. But then he has this debt hanging over his head for Broadway tickets, so he'd have to sell Super Bowl tickets, of which he didn't really have, and keep the scam going to pay off the last scam until eventually things fall through, everyone falls away, and it all falls apart. Where you have with God a track record of fulfilled prophecies. Like, did you realize that everything God has ever said would happen, everything he's ever promised, every prophecy he's ever given that is to come true to this point in history has come true? You can count on him. You can bank on it. You have a track record of promises coming to fruition, and you have the ultimate example of God dying in your place. And that he has a love that he wants to pour out on you. We don't have to live with a scarcity mindset. We don't have to live in fear. We can do what Romans 8 tells us to do. That because of God's love, I can conquer my fear of provision. If you're taking notes, you might write that in. I can conquer my fear that I'm not going to exhaust God's supply for me. That he's given everything I need in his son. And in him I can find everything I need. God will give to us. Number three, God will forgive us. This is God's merciful love. Now remember, forgiveness is not saying that sin does not matter. Forgiveness is saying that sin matters so much, that sin matters enough that Christ Jesus went to the cross to pay for my sin, for your sin. The word seals our forgiveness here. This word is justifies. Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who, and here's this legal term he brings back again we talked about in this series. This legal term that even though accusations are being thrown at you, you can picture yourself standing before God. The enemy throws all these accusations. Look at your past. How can God love you? Look at what you struggle with. Do you think God really wants to walk with you? And because of what Jesus did, the gavel comes down and God says, not guilty. And who justifies us? We don't justify ourselves. It's God who justifies. And you may be living in embarrassment that someone might find out about the sins you've committed or the things you've done. 
cast you aside. But the truth is, God already knows. In fact, he knows more deeply than you do. And in Christ, he declares you not guilty. Why is this powerful? Because it means I can conquer my fear of accusation. This is powerful to me. Uh, because more than once, I've reached out to someone in our church, maybe a new person, happened not too long ago actually, I reached out to a new person in our church and just wanted to call and say, man, I'm glad you're here, I'm glad you're getting involved, glad you're getting connected, is there anything I can do for you, is there any way we can serve you, and not too long ago I reached out to a guy, left a message, he called back, and I told him, hey, I was just calling and told him those things. And he started almost crying over the phone. He says, Pastor, I thought you were calling me to tell me I could not come to church anymore. I thought you'd learned who I was and that you were calling me to say you can no longer be a part of the congregation. And what I found is so many people walk through with hidden things, hidden embarrassments, like, man, if, if God really knew who I was, if they really knew who I was, that I would be accused and I would be cast aside and you don't have to fear the accusations of anyone you do not have to fear the accusations of the enemy instead you can live in the consequence of forgiveness you can live in the freedom of forgiveness this comes to the fourth truth the fourth truth is this God will not condemn us this is God's unconditional love the only one with the right to bring a charge against you has said not guilty and the only one with the right to condemn you has instead decided to love you. Now God knew that many of us would struggle with assurance and believing it. He knew many would misuse it. So he tells us, right here in this verse, he gives us four ways that we can know this to be true. Romans 8, verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I love that he just puts four ways right here that you can know this to be true. You might write these in. How can I know? Because Jesus died. And not only that, Jesus lives. And Jesus sits at the right hand of God and he's interceding for me. Jesus intercedes. And maybe you're still thinking, well, you, you don't know what I've done. I've been unfaithful. I've been neglectful. You don't know what I think about. But these are four assurances for every follower of Jesus Christ. Four assurances that God will not ultimately condemn you in Christ. Now, when you realize that he will not condemn you, does that make you want to excuse sin more? Of course not. It causes us to want to be more holy, to live as he is holy. Instead of excusing sin, you want to live in a new kind of way. Instead of taking advantage of grace, you want grace to be upheld. You want it to be honored. You want holiness to be honored. You see, a condemned person is still in, uh, it's the opposite legal term of being justified. And a condemned person is still in prison. And some uh, of us are still living in a prison of our own condemnation. 
God has said he won't condemn you. He's opened up the prison door, but you won't walk out of it because of what you've done. And instead of living in belief of what Christ has done and walking out of the, out of the door and, and having faith that way, instead you believe in your own condemnation and you've stayed in that prison. But you can walk out because of what he's done. You can live in freedom. You can conquer your fear, if you're taking notes, of condemnation. Because of God's love, I can conquer my fear of condemnation. Here's the fifth and final truth of this passage. So God will not condemn us. God will forgive us. God will give to us. God is for us. And finally here, God will never leave us. This is God's eternal, everlasting love. This is the top of the mountain of Romans chapter 8. The very last verses. I'll tell you, these would be great verses to read with someone who's struggling. Uh, Maybe you visit someone in the hospital or someone has been uh, diagnosed with an illness or is facing an illness. Maybe uh, someone is at the end of their life or someone is facing persecution or opposition and you want to open up scripture and read with them or go have words of hope for them, I would encourage you to open up Romans chapter 8. And if you've only got a little bit of time to read these last verses, Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And he's quoting here uh, from Psalm, Psalm 44, 22. The fact is that if you stand for God today, it will cost you something. And for the people he's writing to, it's costing them, they're facing all of these things. And it's sad to see what Many believers around the world are facing. But even this will not separate us from the love of God. And what he's quoting is in this psalm, they're asking God, have you forgotten us? God, have you forsaken us? God, have you given up on us? Verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So let's read the rest of this, this, and the next slide together. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I'm convinced. Where he writes, I'm convinced, he's saying, I've become convinced, I remain convinced, I will be convinced that God's love is never leaving. Jesus proved his love by his sufferings. Our sufferings could possibly now not separate us from his love. These verses say we are more than conquerors, and you may not feel like that. You may feel like there's defeat all around you, but the truth is you are more than a conqueror because you have a conqueror standing by your side. Many people in life are contained by their fears. They're conquered over by situations, by circumstances. Many people let their fears build a box around their life. 
They're afraid to do, they're afraid to do anything. But through the love of Christ, we can conquer our fears. We don't have a promise here that uh, some of the things we fear won't be realized, that we won't suffer. But we do have a promise that those things could never separate us from the thing we need the most, which is fellowship with God and the love of God. In fact, as they talk about the, the sufferings that may separate them, he knows that through these things that you go through them, that they draw you into Christ's love. And for this reason, I can conquer one more fear. I can conquer my fear of separation, of being separated from Christ. See, this is the truth that we must get into our mind. Is that once you've been sealed with the Spirit, once you are in Christ, once you have put your faith in Christ and live for Him, God cannot stop loving you. It would go counter to who He is. No matter what happens, I can trust God's presence, Christ's presence and glory Because we spend so much of life in the valleys, so much of life living with our own doubts and struggles and insecurities. And we need these moments where we're reminded and we recognize again that this is not about me. This is not about me and what Christ sees in me and me living up to this. This is about God and his promises and what I see in God. And many times when I'm struggling with my own faith, my own salvation and living this out and all these things, sometimes it's helpful to just step back and go, you know what? I'm thinking about me a lot. Where really what God is calling me is to fix my eyes on him, to fix my eyes on the cross, the empty tomb, and to fix my eyes on his glory and worship him and let him take care of me and not live a me-centered life in my salvation, but to live a God-centered life that it's about him and what I see in him. And because of his love for you, because of his love, you can conquer your fear of separation. You can conquer your fear of wondering, will God love me through and through? Will God love me to the end? Would you pray with me, please, about this? Let's go to God. And just today in our prayer time, I invite you to make some of the promises we've studied in this great chapter very personal. Just pray them back to God. In your mind say, thank you, Father, for this truth about you. And thank you, Father, for giving me the truth about me. That while I am a sinner, you decided to die for sinners. And you decided to make a way where there was no way for me. And now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you that we can be in Christ. That he made a way for us. That the spirit of life has brought us back to life. That we can call you Abba Father. That we can have this incredible future. Just make that personal. Thank God today that you have an incredible future in him. And Lord, we know that you cause all things to work together for good. Nothing can separate us from you. Lord, we thank you for that. And church, I'm always aware that in any group of people at any time, there may be someone uh, listening who has never 
begun a relationship with God. They've never began believing in Jesus to be in Christ. And if that's you, you can go to God right now. You can turn to him right now. And in your heart and mind say, Jesus, I want to begin a relationship with you. I want these fears to be conquered in my life. God, I need your forgiveness. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the kind of life you want to give me to live. I ask you to come into my life. I commit myself as best as I know how to living for you. And as much as I know how today, I put my trust in you. Thank you for your grace. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth. 